<laughs> we we have started already. But well, I haven't done the, the the squawk yet, you know. Okay, so are we ready to rock? I was born ready, brother. Anybody wants to bring us up to speed on the topic that we are talking about today? Maybe you can leave it up to Jerry. Jerry, the yeah. son of a of a shioba hawker who can't cook shioba. Let's let's rumble, Jerry. Come on, let's go. That's the reason why I don't. That's the reason why I didn't take over my dad's business, right? Pull it up, pull it up. Yeah, but Jerry, I mean, the, the, the whole reason why I said just now before the podcast started that you are the star of the show is because I think it's pretty cool that literally your entire education, your trip to Australia, you know, to study and your degree, all that is all sponsored by hawker money. And I think that's a, something that few of us can can claim to. Not, not all, not all. Uh, not all then, then, then... Not all. I, I got a study grant. Ah, okay, yeah. okay. So you got a bit of government money also. Yes. Okay, okay. But majority, you, you are brought up by, by, by people buying your parents' shoba, you see. Of course, ah. Uh. So this, this issue that that's, we are talking about today is extremely dear to you, isn't it? It feels like it's dear to me, but at the same time, if it dies, it dies off. What? <laughs> yeah. Okay, 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 okay. But never mind, never mind. Just, just bring us up to speed about why, why, what, what's happening now, what's happening. Let's just give the audience a, a, a quick recap. Okay, what's Si Bei Bui Song? Okay, what's Si Bei Bui Song? So all this fucking bullshit about this hawker culture in Singapore and how it's being nominated with uh, to UNESCO as a representative of intangible cultural rights of humanity what kind of fucking bullshit is that man like let's be honest like singapore has been systematically decimating the so-called hawker culture in singapore for the last 50 plus years and now they want to do this fucking shit that's fucking bullshit to me that's fucking bullshit let's not even talk about the kind of nonsense that my parents face as hawkers way back in the 80s and 90s and uh early 2000s and it's just just amazing how they can claim to want to do this when you know all they've done over the last as far as i know uh, throughout my life they've put a lot of obstacles in the way of my parents and uh, a lot of the other hawkers that i know of all the little uh, uncle auntie that uh that you know that patted my head when i grew up like, I what, like, what, like, right you, now. Yeah, can you give, uh, us... give us an example of like some of the shit that your parents have to go through as uh, hawkers during their days Oh, of course, early on, I don't know that much. But uh, when I became a teenager, one of the biggest things that they needed us to do was they needed my parents to uh, move to a uh, food industry area. So they had to put in extra uh, rent to uh, to basically rent a, a little factory spot in uh, a food industry area in Amokyo to do their pre-prep for the, the you know, the, the saola tian. Right, so my, my parents, what my parents do is uh, they cook, they roast ducks, chicken, pork, uh, all the cha xiu, xiu ba, xiu a, all the lo ke, lo a, they do everything. Right? And the reason why they do everything was because they had to, uh, they had to make money, right? Uh, but yeah, so one of the first things they did was they had to move to a, a, a area designated for food production in order to continue the business. This is exclusive of the store, right? And yes. It's a physical store. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you have to produce it somewhere uh, because my parents are not the cha sao fan, you know, they, they don't have a space to cook on the spot. And back in the day, in the 80s and 90s, before the all the, the so-called sanitary ratings came out, the hawker stores were really small as well. So it was never really seen as sanitary uh, but anyway back to my parents when when my parents had the had the space they had to rent it out because obviously the volume is not big enough to to uh, justify renting such a big space so they rented out when they rented it out they are still the main tenants so every health infraction that their tenants their sub sub tenants right uh, uh face it all comes back to my parents 
Right. So, so that one, okay, it's not definitely not on on the guff, but uh, at that point in time in the late nineties, I also believe they had a big change in how the restructuring of the gov- uh, government networks and, and agencies. So, just like today, when some of the ministries are all condensed into one, a lot of uh, a lot of rule changes. So, there was this one time I remember very distinctly. Within eight months, they had to change hardware uh, in in the factory, in the food processing factory, mm. uh, twice or three times in order to comply with new standards that just came out like that. Mm. You know, it's just someone typing up paperwork. It just came out like that. And they wanted to implement it within a month or two, if I'm not wrong. Um, so your parents had to foot the cost for that? Oh, of course. We, we have to tank the cost. But so is it just a food safety thing rather than a hawker thing? You know oh, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely is a food safety thing. I I mean, now as a... As you know, as an ancient one, I, I have no, I have no problem seeing that you know all these are just because of health standards. I understand. It's just that I think the way it was implemented, uh, they, they, they've, uh, is, is often overlooked that how hawkers will have to respond to it, like the additional costs um, that they have to come up with for a lot of the health standards that uh, to us is just numbers on paper or words on paper. You know, so so that's a, actually a big problem that uh, a lot of hawkers face, and they they are not. More, a lot of them are simple people. They're not there to understand all this kind of uh, paperwork and everything. And the, the, one of the big issues I feel that is uh, all these administrative people, are maybe they need to understand how it is it on the ground before they push out the changes. Probably they can roll it out at a, on, a, on a scale basis. But of course, all those things were not really considered back, back in the day. Now it's because of the good and bad of social media, they, they actually are listening to more complaints and are starting to be more, a little bit more responsive to it. How, how tenable was this uh, hawker business then? I mean, were your parents making a, a, a good, tidy profit? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They raised five kids on Shioba money. How, how, that, that means, I mean, I mean, now that you're older, judging by what you know, mm. how much do you think they earn a month from their Shioba business? Profit, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, probably in six figures. Just six for that one figures, month. Six figures, yes. six figures. That means 100,000. Uh. Maybe more than that. Maybe more than that, yes. I don't know the exact details because... Uh, that means your parents, pretty, your parents young. are only running one store. Oh, but they that the reason one of the reasons why they had to get the food processing unit was because they were supplying as well. Oh, your parents were supplying. So your parents are not tan tan hawker. They are not solely they hawkers. They started uh. as hawkers. Okay, okay. Yeah. But they had a obviously had a had a good business mind about them to to expand their business lah. They, to they supply started, as well. They started as hawkers. Actually, my parents uh at one point in time they actually ran a top type store. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So okay. they they were they were in the food business for a very long time. My w- w- would you consider your parents' business to be like the one percent, two percent of of like hawker stores? Because do you know what I mean? Like a normal, if right now I were to go and learn how to make a Hokkien fried mee, and I go and I will probably never be as successful as your parents. I'll be like the majority, the the majority of stores who just you know. But even the successful stores right now, if you look at it, I don't think they're earning that much. Okay. To be honest, because that time honest. the rent and nowadays rent is extremely it's different. It's very right? different. It's very different. Yeah. Okay. yeah, the of course back then rental was different because it was NEA run ma. So yeah. then they, they are not so called profit driven. They can just have a flat rate for hawker rentals, correct? Mm-hmm. And then for most of the stuff actually the hawkers back in the day they have to settle it themselves, including the washing of dishes, so on and so forth. The clearing I think to some extent, right, the clearing of the plates and the trays, you have to do it in your immediate vicinity. That's for, like for example, uh, I used to go to Amoy Street quite a lot. Uh, there's a there's a like a Taipung store that I frequent there. I see the auntie; she always like cleaning her own place, and she will clear the place within like five 
five tables from a store or something like that. So it used to be there's this flex- more flexible system where, okay, everybody just sort of do their part, you know, I do a bit more, I do a bit less, whatever, but we try to maintain it in that sense. But I think the rising cost of everything, right, make it such that the government just simply not able to handle it anymore. And frankly speaking, I also not say don't welcome the move, lah, because it's just going to be, if we going to continue the government down this path, right, it's just going to be the HDB situation all over again. Yeah, some yeah, winners, yeah. there are some uh, winners, right, and then there are some that are losers, you know, when they have to go with the private enterprises. And the other thing is, uh, if correct me if I'm wrong, Jerry, but I heard that um, for hawker rentals, right, within, like, say, a hawker centre, sometimes the rental prices can vary quite uh, wildly depending on, like, what generation of hawkers you are, right? Because some people could be paying, like, a couple hundred dollars per month for rent, and then some of the newer gen can be paying a couple of thousand dollars for rent, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, in, in the rental situation, the first generation hawkers, the people who are still doing it uh, and has been for a very long time, passed down from their parents to them and they're now in their 50s and 60s, uh, those are the ones that are probably uh, benefiting the most from the scheme. Yeah. Um, oh dear, so, so you're telling me right now if I go and, and, and set up a store, you'll be my, fucked. my rent is extremely different from my neighbor. You'll be market be price, yeah, la, you'll basically. You'll be market price. You'll be, you can expect to pay three, 4000 in fact, right, recently, store. in fact, recently there was a crazy bidding uh, bidding war in Chom Chom for one of the stalls. Yeah. And there was like this bidder who ended the direct the deal on ten thousand and two twenty eight dollars monthly for a rental bid for one of the hawker stalls, which is fucking crazy, uh, because the next highest bid was about like five thousand dollars, five thousand dollars, and one didn't the 5, lady stop signing the contract. Yeah, she, she eventually gave up on that yeah. because she probably realised that 10k a month for a hawker stall is a stupid it's price to nonsense, pay. Uh, but 5k a month for a hawker stall is nonsense. Yeah, exactly. But that's the thing, right? Like, um, there is there are wild inequalities be- even in between the hawkers in one hawker centre be- just because of the rules and regulations that the people put in place. La. So, which is, I would say, quite unfair for those people who are new hawkers wanting to start out their new hawker business. La. Do any of you feel like the hawkers are being bullied? Because for me, that's part of the issue that's on the table. Uh, people are getting bullied by a monopoly, by a stronger power, people who are in authority... I don't know I don't know if it's like an active kind of bullying where like you know the system takes a hammer and bash them down because mm. they feel like it but um, KF Sito the what food food blog reviewer Makan Sutra dude right he recently posted uh, on his Facebook uh, this 51 page contract uh, that some hawkers have to sign if they want to get it like a hawker stall mm. and mm. I don't really know a lot of hawkers but one of my best friend's mom she used to be a ho- she was a hawker for a very long period of time and she was completely illiterate you know she went around not knowing how to read like simple English or ch- Chinese mm. and the way that she remembered people's numbers when she put it in her phone was by the let's say the block number that they live in so for example Jerry if you lived at block 471 she'll put your name down as 471 and then she'll like you know record your number in that way mm. so you know you're asking some people like this to sign a 51-page contract that might fuck them over because they don't know what they're signing. Like, they might know some of the rudimentary contract terms. Like, I have to pay X amount this month, I have to pay X amount for dish cleaning and, and so on and so forth. But all the 
intricacies of those contract terms will be lost on them and it, I think it's extremely unfair. Okay, okay. So we can all agree that there's a sort of bullying going on. Nope, I disagree. Sorry. Okay, excellent. I was hoping for you. I was making eye contact with you, hoping for you to disagree. Tell, tell us why you As think uh, this bullying is not bullying. Actually, can, before John says anything, oh, yes. can I also say that I don't feel it's bullying? I don't feel it's bullying, but I my belief is... The, the different market forces from consumer, from landlord, from government, they're all, con- they're all loosely conspiring to kind of, loosely conspiring to try to, everyone is trying to pick a piece of it because they think that there's some value left in it, you know. Okay. And it's not, they're not trying to bully these people. It's more so they are all trying to figure out what's the best I can get out no, of No, no, what you're saying is that they're all greedy fucks. Yes. That's what you're trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. They're not specifically bullying, it's just that they're all looking out for the best yes, interest. Yes, so people who are managing Kofu, people who are managing, what's that, uh, the Kofu group mm. and the Kopi Tiam group, they're all greedy little fucks, is what we are saying, right? That's what you're saying. Okay, no, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> 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 it's true, uh, well, no, it's true. Uh, okay, but, but please, uh, state your case. First of all, all this shit comes from the fact, right, that they are trying to accommodate too much in one... They're trying to accomplish too many things in, in this one directive. When they come to the social enterprise trying to manage hawker centres, right, what they want to do is keep the prices down so that it's affordable, but then they still must maintain a profit. And then, so the people get to enjoy cheap food, and then the business owners get to get to remain the profits or whatever, right? They get mm-hmm. to earn money. And then in the centre, the one that's left, right, is the, hawk, is the other hawkers. Right. Mm. So then you say that they are getting bullied, but here's the fact of the matter: they they did sign a contract, whether they are literate or not. This one is we cannot help it. There may be one or two fellows who uh who cannot read, but majority of them they fully understand the contract that they are signing. Kofu also have to protect their own interests, right? They cannot simply allow people to do willy nilly what they will on their property and you know just suddenly move out sublet or whatever kind of shenanigans and you know you know business owners they they do a lot of funny things right they do a lot of funky shit to try and re- to try and squeeze out every ounce of profit that they can yes but that doesn't mean you should approve them correct so then off. now the question remains right is the hawker culture thing even sustainable to begin with if this is all we are if this is all we care about do you know what i'm saying like if you want to pay four dollars a plate then somebody has to fork out the rest of the bill, right? Now, the, the your your the cost of your chakwe tiao right, is more than four dollars. Like this, this is the case already. This is what's happening in Singapore. So somebody has to fork out the bill, right? And then Kofu is not going to fucking do it. So then after we say, oh, oh, aren't you just bullying the the hawkers? The hawkers then no, because they can don't sign the contract. Number one, they can pay the penalty if they don't want to stay anymore or they can tough it out and then after that just leave once the whole thing comes to a buzz right once this bubble bursts everybody will suddenly wake up their fucking idea correct or not so I don't think anybody's getting bullied it's just we're trying to accomplish too many things and no one wants to pay for it I just feel it. like the whole like social enterprise hawker centre thing should be abolished la, because um and instead of like subbing out all these different things like you know dishwashing to one company and whatever to another company th- why can't they just why can't they just um, run it as like a per normal like okay so for example Tampani's Hub has 50 stalls to rent and each month they state like a basic rental of say 2.5k let's say and that's it lah and then you know the rest of it the hawkers can just do whatever the hawkers want to do basically instead of exactly. having yeah instead of having um, terms and conditions like having to um, pay $250 fine for every day that they close without permission they're supposed to open 24 hours a day uh, with two off days and then um, things like 
how much vegetables and calories each dish dish should have and you know um maybe adding stuff like I don't know a cup of cucumbers to nasi lemak just so right, that it can right. make the mark. I mean well, but just this, like you know really just fuck off already la. This is the, the the reason why I say what I said just now. How what what was it saying about the different groups loosely conspiring. The consumers, they demand cheap, affordable food. And it went all the way back to 2011 when, I don't I don't know if you guys remember when uh, Tim Peling got, nom- uh, got elected as an MP. One of the first things she did was to uh, write up like a, I don't remember what she wrote up, but part of it was to appeal to hawkers to keep some of their food cheap, you know, below market cost. And when mm-hmm. I read that in the newspapers, um, I was laughing because what the fuck, man? Like, Okay, this is the reason why you don't you don't shove someone with no life experience into a MP position right, because right, right. it's so difficult to make to to balance it out. And she's mm. she's there telling hawkers who are toughing it out at ground level, sucking mud, to tell them, hey, you gotta keep your costs down, you know, so they can you can be affordable. How about like, keeping rental prices low, yeah? The exactly. billing, huh? Exactly. It, it's not just the rental prices. If you take away the rental prices, raw materials actually the uh, cost has gone up. Well. Yeah. Because every single thing you pay for has a GST tag to it. Yep. Right? And that is 7% and potentially can increase 9%. So they... they Okay, so so here's the, here's the conundrum as well. So you have... On one hand, you have the consumers demanding or, or looking forward to affordable food. or And then you have the... On the other hand, the uh, the government trying to maintain the image of cheap, affordable, good food. Uh, but then they also have, you know, levy all the different uh, uh, pressures on the hawkers. Like, okay... You know, there's a reason why they, they go wash plates at, pro- they provide a service for plate washing and, and cleanings because they have to hit a certain health standards. You know, so I'm not saying these health standards are bad, it's, but these health standards eventually, you know, will, will create a situation where they have to pay money to get, to hit those health standards. You know, and that cost incurred by the food court operator ends up going to the hawkers. That, that's how it is. And if the hawkers cannot pass it on to the consumers, then, you know, what are they going to do? Are you guys worried that our hawker culture will die and all the delicious food will not be available to you anymore? I don't know because... Uh, it will probably die and... There's no hawker culture. Then, you know, it's just because we are unwilling to pay for it and that's too bad. Also. Yeah, I mean like um, the guy, what's his name? Leslie Tay from I Shoot, I Eat, I, I post. post. That dude, right? I mean, he's been kind of like talking about how it is very unfair for us who are unwilling to pay money for hawker food when we are very happily paying a lot more money for shittily right, cooked right. pasta. Let's say... Right. All the hipster a, stuff, right? Yeah, you cook a pasta dish uh, and, you know, your base cost is like, I don't know, some shitty barilla pasta and a can of tomatoes and maybe a little bit of ingredients, right? Versus, like, say, a lovingly cooked bowl of mee, you know, with your siobak on it and then, like, the fried fish things. Yeah. I mean, that, compared to a bowl of pasta... Which any idiot can cook, right? I mean, how much, how many years of experience do you need to cook an awesome bowl of lor mee, you know? And I would say it's almost on par with a good bowl of lor mee is on par with, with a good bowl of ramen. And we happily pay like $15, $20 for ramen and we're like, shit, why is my lor mee $5? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a thing, so. I mean, I wouldn't be happy when they increase the prices, but I don't see how they can continue doing business, huh? Would you guys like to talk about some numbers? Do you think they'll be boring to our audiences? Okay, I mean, let's just get real here, lah. Okay, we are trying to we are gaming gamifying the system, correct? Or not? We we want the the each plate or the cheapest plate to be a certain price. Okay, let's say below two fifty or two eighty or three fifty, right? Then after that, right? If I was the hawker center, if I was the hawker man, uh, the hawker store owner, right? Mm-hmm. So what I would do is I would take this cheapest plate. 
and then I'll just have some zapalang thing inside, right? It won't be worth the 280, so that everybody else will be forced to pay the, the higher price items. So therefore, to counter this, Kofu has to come up with some system that says that, hey, you need to have a certain amount of calories in your plate or whatever. So it's just this game, right? It's tit for tat. Right, I'm trying to counter your, your mixed move based on the logical consequences of the rules that we've implemented. So once again, right, all this just comes down to we are trying to accomplish too much. There's just no way. We cannot keep thinking right, that we can get away with paying only $5 for a plate of good char kway teow and still maintain this system where uh, we have hawkers trying to do their best to serve us the, the best possible plate or whatever. I mean, if you want to talk numbers, okay, uh, let's, let's, play a, let's play a little game here. How much do you think a hawker owner should earn every month? As much as they can. Okay. So I mean, to, to live in Singapore, you know, to be safely in the, to leave the working class, you need about 2k uh. Two to three k. I would say three. Three and above. Yeah, three k, right? So let's say it's three k, I think right. your upper end. Okay. Now they got to they start work every morning by what four a.m. three a.m. Right. Yeah, they, got to, they got to prepare the food, whatever. Then they got to cook it. Then after they got to go to the hawker centers. They work until what time? They want till seven eight o'clock. Yeah. Correct or not? So they are working. Easily, and don't forget, like, they have no CPF, Medisave. All these are like. So they are working thirteen hours, fourteen hours. Mm. Okay. Mm. For three thousand dollars, for like almost six days, maybe six seven days a week, then they then they earn three three thousand dollars. Yeah. Why why don't I quit that. my job? Find a find a work find work at some at, at some admin post or whatever. I earn five hundred dollars less, but I, I work half the hours. I don't wake up so early, right? And I can spend more time with my kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right now, mm-hmm. so for the hawkers to so called earn their keep, they has it has to be more than three. Three thousand. It has to be at least. Mm, good point. Good like point. what so Jerry was earning, than, right? Like yeah. Jerry's parents was earning, like. 100k or whatever like it has to be that amount otherwise it's just not worth it right now every okay let's talk about yearly lah okay if yearly they don't earn let's say revenue wise between 300 let's say 300k and above to me right it's just not worth it at all the amount of time and effort needed right to go and maintain and don't forget you know they still got to hire people they cannot work there all the time they got to hire they got to maintain overhead and then don't forget for business owners, right? There are months where they might not profit. Months they don't profit, right? That means they got to earn doubly hard uh, for the next month so that to drag themselves out of the hole. So that means they have all these risks that's involved. It's not like us when we if we don't if we don't get work, then we our pay is zero. If they don't profit, their pay is minus whatever X amount. Right? That means they are they have dug themselves into the hole that they must dig themselves out of. So all these are very, very risky endeavors. And Nobody wants to take that risk anymore because it doesn't make any sense. It, it doesn't make sense for me to take all this risk only to sell you my chakwe at two eighty. Yeah, exactly. Which is which is partly the reason why they are saying that oh, the so-called culture I'm air quoting culture is dying because I've read a recent post by uh, our senior minister of state, Amy Kaur, right? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> So what she said was uh, that she she basically uh, stated some statistics uh, that um, the median age of hawkers in Singapore is sixty years old, which means if they were to tune the the CPF or uh, sorry not the CPF but if they were to tune the retirement age a little bit right to sixty eight uh, there'll be an average of five to eight years before all these people decide fuck it I don't want to do it anymore. Uh, in the foreseeable ten years we're gonna lose a good percentage of our hawkers if all these people who are 60 years old and above decided to call it one day. Mm. Um, and now they're thinking, oh, you know, how do we make it attractive again so that the younger people will take it up? 
And this is uh, one of the things that I, I feel that uh, one of the things that the, the Gov has always been trying to do is to put up an image that there's, there are jobs for everyone. And one of the biggest issues that I take with it is while growing up, we were pushed to go into engineering. And when my friends finally got into engineering, the manufacturing jobs are gone. Further down the line, we're pushed to go into IT. IT jobs are gone. And further down the line, biotech. Further down the line, animation, film, and whatever. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So every generation, they they need to put up a front to say that, you know, oh, hey, you know, these are viable jobs to go into. It's not saying that these are not viable jobs, but the viability does not come from you saying that it's viable. The viability is the individual deciding whether or not they have the passion to take it up. And if they have passion to take it up and they're willing to work hard for it, then yes, it's viable for them. But you shouldn't be using that as a basis to tell people that, oh, you know, you can go to go into doing a hawker. And I, I, I thought whether it's viable depends on the industry. It depends on the industry. It also depends on the individual. But the it, industry has been proven to work yeah. because there are still people in doing it. Yes, exactly. Right. So the, if there's... If there's nothing wrong with the industry, there's the forces that's shaping the industry, right? That's at fault. People still can, uh, there are still hawkers around. You can still earn yeah. a living, but you will not be hitting, you know, the 80s and 90s uh, gold mine if you're a hawker. Yeah. Yeah. Back then, as hawkers, 80s and 90s, I've heard of hawkers changing Mercedes every year. Yeah, we all know that Mercedes stories, right? Like yeah. Of all the hawkers driving awesome cars. No, driving, no shit. But I don't think you'll no see shit. that happening now. No, now you, no, you don't. Yeah. Now you don't. Now, if you, if you be, you be uh, very difficult for a hawker, for a new hawker. Say, for example, if every one of us go into a hawker uh, business, we'll probably be struggling to uh, afford a van to just go fetch our raw materials. I mean, whether you're a good hawker or a bad hawker will affect your earnings, lah. That's that's for sure. Of course, not every hawker out there is driving, is changing Mercedes every year. Mm. Like the Cai Peng that I went to at Amoy Street, like those guys, right? They can they sell something like three to four hundred plates per day on an mm. average day. So they are earning good money, but it's because their food is amazing. Mm. Like they just serve hot piping, you know, Cai Peng food, right? And it's just always there. Like, the, the guy is just always cooking. He's just always cooking. It just makes you cry when you eat it. You're like, oh, yeah. this is so good. So, this guy, I mean, this family is uh, uh, earning a fair bit. And then there are those that, you know, you can, they, you see their store a uh, whole day. Uh, maybe there's, they maybe cracked 50 to 100. So, those guys will just always remain at the median. Now, back then, the, the, the situation was that, okay, given the, the subsidies, right? Okay, the government subsidies, then therefore I can make it big. So now, in this age of entrepreneurship, right, everyone is trying to be an entrepreneur or the government is saying that, yeah, I know you can do whatever you want. When people start venturing into the hawker business, then they start to realize, shit, man, first of all, it's no longer subsidized as it was. Second of all, the prices remain more or less stagnant. So I got to fork up more on my end, but then nobody is want- wanting to pay for the extra bit due to inflation or whatever. And then now, right, People are just seeing the, the case like this is just opportunity cost. Like I ra- if I'm gonna earn only like two, three thousand dollars a month, I'm gonna find an office job. It's just as simple as that. Or I'm gonna do something else. The the forces right, that are affecting this industry is changing. But the industry itself has not changed. And that I think that is the problem. The industry hasn't moved out of its mindset of, you know, like what Jerry said, the eighty the eighty and the nineties South gold mine, you know, government subsidized um, model. Like the interesting thing about like say anything that is socially mm. social enterprises kind of shit, right? Mm. Oh wait, before you go there, fuck! I need to rant about fucking social enterprises. <laughs> God damn, I hate this fucking term so much. Sure. Okay, right. you're either you're either a business or you're a charity. All right, social enterprises. This fucking bullshit marketing term 
you're just a sub-optimized business, okay? You're a sub-optimized for-profit business. You're not doing anybody any fucking favors. You're not fucking fooling anyone. I fucking hate this goddamn bullshit that they're shoving down our throats. Oh, social enterprise, you No. Okay, sorry, Angie. Please go on. In, in this, in this <laughs> hawker center aspect, I totally agree, though. Yeah, yeah I agree yeah, as true. well. It's, it's, because, it's clear like, as day, actually. Um, so the thing I don't really like about social enterprises is that it, it gets very muddled sometimes because like uh, if you are a social enterprise and so-called you're doing it for the greater good of society, right? Uh, how much profit are you supposed to make off this whole thing, right? Okay, the, let's just be clear about something about social enterprises. I know a few people who actually start their own social enterprises and I know people who work for them. There are good social enterprises out there but what is supposed to be, okay? It's just a business. It's just... Pure and simple is it's not anything else other than a for-profit organization. The difference is they may tune their business model here and there to accommodate certain uh, social good. For instance, let's say I have a cafe that's run by uh, people with Down syndrome. Okay, my cashier, my staff are all um, I hire only people with Down syndrome. Okay, so it's not saying that I don't want to make profit off my ice cream. It's just that. Yeah. I'm trying to help the... Do this, some social good, yeah, basically. I'm trying to help these people with any whatever particular symptoms or whatever particular disease. And then... But everything else remains the same. What I mean by a so- sub-optimized business, right, is precisely because of this. My business won't be running at 100% efficiency, but I'm okay with that, you see. And then I can use... Mm. The offset, right, is that supposedly because I have people with disabilities in my store... I can use it as some sort of marketing tool and in exchange, right, maybe people will patronize my store a little bit more because they wish to support these kind of causes. On the other hand, if you can train the staff with Down syndrome to function close to 100%, uh, the efficiency of a normal person, then you also win, right, don't you? I mean, that one is dreamland, okay? I don't know whether that will be possible with everyone. I have a special I mean, ability the... to talk to autistic people. Because yeah, I, autistic. I got a feeling it's because you're autistic <laughs> yourself. I got a feeling you're on the spectrum. Regardless, the point is that you're so-called hampering yourself a little bit in some way, shape or form, lah, okay? But in terms of the business profit, like in terms of making a profit, there's no change to that. Everything else remains the same. I think the only way for correction to happen is if shit just blows up. Lah. So for example, um, I, like a couple of months ago, I went to the Pasiri Central Food uh, Hawker Centre. It's, they recently built it and it's very nicely built, you know, you get a beautiful view of like the rolling greenery in Pasiris and you know, it's very nice and breezy. But the shitty thing is there are very little stalls uh, left open. So I, I was kind of reading this article about it and it's uh, actually run by NTUC uh, Food Fair. It was, it opened in January this year. There was like quite a big fanfare basically. And, but like a couple of months down the road, right? at least 10 stalls have thrown in the towel already. Like, they closed shop already because they couldn't afford all the fees uh, and shit that they were charged with and also because there was not enough uh, footfall and traffic to to sustain business. Lah. So basically, now if you go there, right, I, you'll see that quite a few of the stalls are closed and I think um, and there are more stalls that are like, thinking about closing shop lah, because they just can't afford to run their business there. So it, I is, think... Is it brand new? Uh, yeah, it's brand new. Like, if you go there, right, like, you'll see that there are a lot of hipster stores, like, you know, Korean food, then, um, Western food, selling stews and, like, ramen and, and whatnot. But, um, yeah, the footfall is very low, and 
you know, if there's no way to sustain business, people won't open there. So like, you know, you can either lower your cost and have some other people come in or you can just let the stalls remain shut. So, I mean, I think that's the only way for shit to happen. I mean, for them to bring down their costs. This is what I was talking about when one party collapses. So in this in this case, the the, the landlord, the managing agent, they have collapsed up because none of the rent hawkers will sign their rentals. They, yeah, are, they, they, are, space they are forced to change. Mm. Right, yeah. They have to change somewhere. If not, right, then they will just mm. abandon the lot altogether and then say, okay, I'm your uh, government, I'm your managing agent, I cannot take it anymore. This is your problem yeah. now. Then the government will just tender it out to another managing agent and the yeah. same cycle happens again. But it's really funny. It's because, okay, I'm like looking at the online citizen right now and then apparently they, the on top of rent, right, um, they have to pay ancillary charges amounting to more than $2,000. So for example, um, table cleaning service, 550 per month. Dishwashing, 850 per month. Facilities Rental management. of cashless system, 150 per month. Food waste recycling management, 40 per month. Concept and marketing, 300 per month. Like, what the fuck is this shit? And there's like S and CC charges for 350 per month. So I'm just like, what the fuck is all this yeah, shit? Yeah, but previously it was the government absorbing it, all, all this money. All this but previously, you don't have like food waste recycling, you don't have cashless system rental, yeah, you don't have concept have and marketing, to, right? Somebody still have to manage the food waste, somebody still has to manage the, 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 the conservancy costs, right? Previously, like I said, the government absorbed it because, you know, they, they could and they just didn't want to bother, you know, collecting all these small, small chump change. But then now somebody has to pay for it. Um, but okay, I think we maybe we switch track a little bit. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the consumers instead. Right? Okay. What kind of what kind of behavior uh, should consumers consider when they are going to to a hawker? What kind of expectations should they have? Because uh, one of the big another one of the other big posts that come up uh, came up was uh, how I, I don't know if our listeners know this lady Pat Law. She's a founder and a boss of uh, Good Stuff. It's a media agency. So she, uh, like myself, her, her her parents are hawkers and she's posted a very, very long multi-page Instagram post about how uh, Singaporeans are fuckers when, you know, they treat hawkers and they come out with hawkers and, you know, they ask for discount, they, you know, ask for free shit. Uh, they don't buy things from his her father's store, but then they ask for, hey, free soup, right? yeah, hey, your chili very nice. I can, I can take your chili, but I buy the chicken rice from two stores down, you know, that kind of shit. So, so I mean, we, shameless. We should. <laughs> we do. People. We should talk a little bit about about Singaporeans as well. You know, like like I, I I have seen some unreasonable requests when helping my parents as well. Oh, okay. Do share. Do share. Yeah, like uh, usually what happened was uh, whenever we we sell the the ducks and the, the chicken and and whatever, we will either give them a choice, just like McDonald's. You you can have chili, or you can have a sweet and sour sauce, or you can have. Uh, some, some sweet other, and sour sauce that goes with the shoba. Uh, actually, roast up, roast up, sweet and sour sauce. Don't question the chef, Angie. Okay, just yeah. roll with it. Sun Tian Jiang, Sun Tian Jiang. Never heard of it. But okay. Okay. So the the chili that my mom does is quite uh, it's quite good. It's a sweet sour kind of chili, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, more on the sweet savory side. Mm-hmm. And when are get, we getting to taste this? By the way, uh, she's not making it anymore. When are you making it for us? I'm, I don't know how to make it. I don't have the recipe. You can't even make the shoba. You want him to make the sauce? <laughs> I've not had the chance to opportunity to taste your shoba. For our, our listeners who listen to our previous podcast, you know Jerry has tried about two to three times already. Yeah, I feel every time. I couldn't get the skin to crackle. 
Why don't you just ask your parents? But I guess you're using an oven, which is different yeah, from what different. they were using. Yeah. Okay, anyways, moving on. So, so, um, so what happened was uh, these uh, uh, customers, they will come up, right? And they'll buy like a small little slab of shioba. And then they want like three packets of sauce. Right, like, obviously they want to take home and use for themselves. Yes, like. for other, uh, you know, for, as condiments for other meals, right? Like, I'm, I'm not saying, uh, I'm not saying I don't want to give you, but it's, it's more of, do you realize that a lot of effort went into making and packing it into small little individual packets? Like, one of the shittiest jobs I remember was my, my mom giving me at six a.m. in the morning, my mom giving me a whole pot of very, very, very hot, okay, not boiling, but very hot sweet and sour sauce. I have to scoop into the plastic bags individually and tie them up, and I burn my fingers so many times, right? Uh, and you, okay, and and you you tie it up for an hour. You tie about maybe eighty packets, and then they're just like, "Hey, I want four. <laughs> right, right. So, right. so, so, Jerry, maybe we can talk a little bit about the psychology of Singaporeans' uh, behavior. So, right now, if let's say those people, mm. that gentleman or lady, the auntie or uncle who who took that sauce from you, four packets, five packets, mm. if they knew, mm. right, how much effort it took for you to pack the chili, for your mom to make the chili, mm. do you think that there would, uh, like this, this empathy would? Okay, you're shaking your head right now. They would not give what, a shit. Just do what McDonald's did, lor. Like they instituted Charge. the yeah. They, yeah. Previously, you could take as many packets of like sauce as you wanted, now right? Like it's the two packets and so, any so more. Isn't the systemic structural issue the lack of empathy among Singaporeans rather than you know you curbing this behavior? You curbing this behavior? Uh. There are cheap people everywhere. La. Yeah. You can't change this. Like, people are always going to be trying to overstep the bounds of what is socially, legally, ethically acceptable. Right? This is just part and parcel of life. You can't, you can't really change this. Yes, John, a recurring theme throughout all these uh, 300 podcasts that we have been together is that you have very <laughs> little faith in the goodness of human beings. But you yourself know people who are good natured, who, you know, you know, you have seen outliers, you have seen people who yeah, are exceptions to the rule. Yeah, but I've seen, like, pure assholes who really don't care about anyone or anything so they, like we can always okay first of all with Pat Lau and with uh, Jerry's uh, auntie pin, uh, sorry chili pinching aunties okay <laughs> they are genuinely the minority agree now I mean we're looking at what I'll give you 10% as a as a as a generous offer but it's probably lower than that I think I think in in, uh, in retrospect the, the younger buyers tend to be more empathetic. It's the older buyers. Yeah, so yeah. With, with, let's, just, let's just say about 10% of uh, people who do this. Okay, no, then too bad. No. Like this, you, you've got to serve the other 90% still. Like, right, no. I mean, what, what, what's, the, what's the big fucking deal here? Like with Pet Lau, she was her... her Pet Law. Pet Law, sorry. Pet, is it L-O-W? L-A-W. With Pet Law, her mom was forced to apologize. Okay, sorry about that. But at least her mom made a stand and I, you know what, I clap for her mom. Can I give you one clap? Okay. So that is what you should do. You should just stand up for yourself. You should say, no, fuck off. Get your hands off my fucking chili. You didn't buy shit. Get the fuck off my store. Simple as that. All right. Like don't, but you know, to, to, for us to just change the entire system, you know, for this 10% of these motherfuckers, we, we can't, we can't do anything about them. Regarding my faith in humanity or whatever, I believe I have more faith in humanity than any of y'all here. Okay. <laughs> But it's just that how you're more handsome than any one of us. But it's just that um, you know, I think we need to be realistic, right, about where to place our good faith in, and at what point in time. This is not one of, like for these very small things, right? People don't care about, you know, they don't see the effort, they don't empathize with the 
with the with the t- with the tears and the sweat of the of the hawkers or whatever, you know what? It happens, right? And it happens to the best of us. Some of us are guilty of these motherfucking things as well. Alright, we've gone to McDonald's and we've taken more curry sauce than what we are supposed to. That's why curry sauce got the supply cut, right, for like months. And then all of us were bitching and crying about it. All those people who've taken more curry sauce than they have, you are guilty as well, okay? Shame so, on you, shame on you. Yeah. So don't don't come here and just be like, you know, those fucking chili pinching motherfuckers. Yeah, I'm sorry. Actually, to be fair, right, sometimes before the whole like McDonald's institution of how many packets of sauce you're supposed to take out, a lot of the people who pack your orders, they are extremely generous with their sauces. Sometimes you buy like a fish fillet meal and then they'll give you like five packets of chili sauce kind of thing. Yeah, man. I feel very guilty when I have to throw those away. What? You just keep it in your fridge, huh? then you can use for other things. Yeah, you can come use on, for other come things. on. We're all old people now. You keep it in your fridge. Do you really use it? Yeah, yeah. I, I, fry, I, I, I fry egg and then oh. I put the chili on it. Holy shit. Okay. Yeah. I used yeah, to work at McDonald's it. and um, we actually have a system in place, right? To how to curb with customers who demand for chili packets. So you're supposed to give them two. If they ask for more, you give them one. If they ask for more, you give them one. Then they ask for more, you say, how many do you want? And actually there's an upper limit. Uh, for the store that I was working at, it was 30 packets. Uh, what? Yeah. That's quite generous. But we, That's a bottle, man. Yeah. Like 30 packets for one set yeah. meal. Are but you fucking serious? The guy has to keep asking for it. Then we will give. Ah, then we will okay, ask. Okay, okay. Then this is so-called the upper limit. Has la. anyone ever hit the upper limit? No. No, like <laughs> the moment you ask the second time and you, sorry, the moment they ask the second time, you just give them that one packet, right? Then they will say, can I have five? Mm. Okay. So it's five, right? It's still within the thirty packet limit. Mm-hmm. I'll give you the five. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna disclose the upper packet limit, but if you want something, right? Okay, fine. So as an employee, right, I just sort of just do my job in that way. If they ask for more, then I'll be like, manager, please handle this guy. Yeah, then, but it has never happened to that point, lah. Thirty packets of chili sauce. Thirty packet is a bottle. <laughs> you squeeze everything out. It's a full bottle. Right? <laughs> How can you throw away mm. McDonald's chili sauce? I'm I'm shocked. I just never use them. Just keep them in the fridge, and they're there forever for five months. And then you're like, okay, I can't use this anymore. You I'm can't. You, you can. can. It's sealed. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, you, so are you asking? Does anybody have any last words to say about the hawker debate, about the dying state of our hawker industry in Singapore? Um. Yeah. I have one last thing. Mm, go ahead. Okay. Uh, hawker vendors, sorry, you're not special. You're part of the free market like everyone else. And customers, uh, if you want something, you pay for it. Simple as that. I mean, this is very, very uh, classic of me to blame the government. But I don't, I don't think I'm blaming the government. But I want the administrators to understand that everything they write on paper has an actual real-world cost to it. And if they are just looking to meet their own KPIs without understanding what the real-world cost is, uh, they need to... They need to refine the way they do things. Okay, I have a message for the for the consumers as well as the rich people in charge of setting prices. Please have some empathy for your fellow man or w- woman. Is that why you're looking at me? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. No, that's not why I was looking at you. I just, I just happened to look up from something. Yeah. Okay, I will, I just hope that people would be willing to pay for things so that we can continue to have awesome like mm. hawker food into my old age okay okay that's all I have to say basically very good very good okay <clears throat> so listen carefully ladies and gentlemen so right now right okay you have discovered you have a special power a powerful potential brimming inside your blood so your special power is this every time when you cook a dish right okay 
like these particles or whatever that will come out from your skin and will seep into the dish and infuse it with opium. You, your fucking pheromones <laughs> again. You're gonna get us banned from whatever fuck social media we are on. Okay, so whatever you cook, whether it's a dish of aglio olio, fried chicken, whatever, it doesn't matter. The point is that you cook it, it's gonna be infused with opium. Okay, you only you okay, have okay. this special ability. Okay, listen to this. Okay. And okay, the next caveat is that nobody will know. Nobody will be able to catch you. Nobody will be able to bottle you. Government cannot test for it. But you have the exact same effects as if the food was cooked with opium, was laced with opium. Okay? Okay, that's the next thing. Okay, now, another caveat is you have the power to translate or give this power, right, to anybody you so desire. Whatever. Let's say if John chooses to spread it with me, I drink a bit of his blood, whatever, a bit of his pee. doesn't matter. The point is that I will then achieve his powers. But you can choose, John, or, or any of you, which, who you decide to give this power to, which means that your business is scalable. Now, the question for you is this. Knowing that you have this special power, will you enter the hawker industry? What will you sell, right? Uh, yeah, so will you enter the hawker industry and what will you sell? And why, and why? Okay, so this is a bit of a, a longer kind of a magical moment. So if you say no, right, also do explain why to our audiences. Uh, no. <laughs> what? Why would I want to go to the hawker industry? I just opened my own restaurant. Yeah, your own restaurant now, restaurant. I can sell $50 ice cream and people will just keep coming back for it and ice cream is not particularly difficult to make. So I'll just choose the like the lowest work possible. Uh, I'll keep it to myself, but I'll tell Dan, hey Dan, you know what? I can teach you opium uh, ice cream. Uh, you just need, need me to let you f- let me fart in your face and then uh, I'll fart in your face and you won't get the powers. And then uh, I'll open my own uh, opium ice cream store and uh, you will think that oh man no, I have opium ice cream but then you're just selling shit ice cream <laughs> okay, okay, ice just, cream I, I, I guess I didn't think through my magical moment enough because you, you went ahead and opened a restaurant you, you you just lease a space a retail space instead of a hawker space yeah because I can sell $50 ice cream that, that's actually my answer as well okay, <laughs> I mean if I can if I, can, if I have the ability to cook the most wonderful food in the world, right? Why am I limiting myself to a hawker? <laughs> I should have, yeah, I should have limited this. But okay, never mind. Maybe your powers only activate when you're in a hawker space, when you sign a fucking social enterprise contract. <laughs> okay, never mind. It's fine. I won't change it. Okay, okay, okay. All right. So you would, like, you would quit your job. You would, you would quit your job. You would tell your wife, okay, I need some money to buy, you know, to to pay the three month rent for a space. I need to, you know, get the damn ice cream. You will actually do it. Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. You say untraceable. Or- Untraceable, untraceable. And then nobody would know about nobody it. Nobody would know. Nobody yeah. Would know. yeah. Okay. I mean, if I, have, if, if I have this magical advantage that I can earn money, then why the fuck not? Okay. And then people okay. love ice cream, why they, they would just... Wait, hang on. Caveat. Is it untraceable to you or is it untraceable in the consumer's pee? Untraceable in everything. In okay. any shape or fashion. Okay. okay. Because if it's untraceable in the consumer's... If it's un- untraceable to you, right? But it's traceable in the consumer's pee, right? Eventually, they're going to be thinking, who is feeding all these people opium? <laughs> <laughs> Cover all your ass Yeah Jerry The person that can fuck you up Is the person that you give the powers to uh. Let's say you want to scale your business right? Yeah. Yeah. In, in that situation I will not I will not give it to anyone I will give it to my own children If you want to scale the business right You just have a central kitchen You make all the ice cream <laughs> true, And well. then you sell it to your franchisees yeah. They will just be like Hey this ice cream is fantastic I can sell it $50 a pop Why not Oh okay, okay. Yeah. So you would do it too Okay what would you sell <laughs> like the really shitty failed Tauta Silva, right? But then oh, everyone man. just keeps saying it's good. Fuck John, he keeps making fun of me. I'm gonna show him my fucking opium Silva. 
And the, the skin doesn't crackle, but people still give five star reviews. I hate it, but I keep coming back more. <laughs> I don't understand why I keep paying stupid money for this stupid show, ma. It's not even But I just really want it. I crave it so badly. <laughs> That's terrible, man. That's fucking terrible. I think I might do like a home, like private home dining experience. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Those yeah. are quite hot these days. Yeah, like, you know, and then make it like super exclusive so people would pay like $1,000 per night kind of thing. Or that or I would like make cookies and then sell it. But, I mean, brand it and sell it, but no one would know where these cookies come from. Mm. And then it would just be that kind of opium cookies that everybody must buy. And then, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I was thinking of the very same thing thing too because I, I, I've... Uh... <laughs> I've heard, you guys have heard about this uh, guy selling uh, nasi biryani, right? The nasi biryani. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, he's, he uses the power of Satan. And I'm not joking. He uses the power of Satan to infuse his rice with like deliciousness. With love. With love and deliciousness. And, people, and community. Yes, it's great. And people buy from him all the time. And he doesn't really say where he's selling until the last minute. He puts a post out on Facebook and everybody mm. goes down to meet him. So it's like a pop-up store. Yeah, like a pop-up thing. There's no, no rent, no nothing. You don't have a middleman. You just meet the people at avoid there and you sell out. Yeah, I yeah, think that's yeah, yeah. that's better. Like that kind of mysticism, you know, that kind of uh, exclusive. I want to be that kind of like mysterious. Yes, yes, cook. yes, yes, you, yes, you, yes. You know what's ironic? After hearing all four of our answers, right? None of us here wants to be a hawker. Of course, it sucks to be a hawker, right? <laughs> yeah, even you, then. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you give yourself an out <laughs> subconsciously. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> So is it? Oh man! Oh. So in the end, at the end of the day, you know, the conclusion is it sucks to be a hawker. <laughs> why? That's why there's no hawker culture. Which is why I also have a lot of respect for hawkers, uh, even the shitty ones. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to end the podcast today. But as always, I be- I ask very, 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 very humbly that you come and participate in our discussion. Even if you have delicious food that you want to recommend on our channel, please go ahead and like put a link or something like that participate in our discussion with us and talk to us about the hawker culture in Singapore. Angie, do you have any last words to our audience? Like, say bye-bye to them in the way only Angie can. Pay for your hawker food, yo. <coughs> okay, bye everybody. See you bye. next episode. Bye. bye. bye.